group here. Welcome, everyone, to Amazed Road. Um, all right, well, we are in John chapter 3, uh, looking at verses 1 through 15. That's printed on page 7 here in your worship guide. Well, how many of you have ever heard something like, oh, you're one of those born-agains when you had a conversation with somebody about your faith? Um, I don't remember when it happened or, or who even said it, but there was, I think, a, there was a guy, and I was having some conversation, and, and he said, oh, you know, I was talking about Jesus, and oh, you're one of those born-agains. And, you know, that doesn't sound very nice. Um, it's a little derogatory, I think. Uh, usually, you know, that you, word, I think, is usually word, used in a negative way when it's, when it's used like that. Um, or how many of you, you know, driving down the highway and you see a billboard, you must be born again. And we see that as Christians and we're like, yeah, that's true, but kind of feels a little bit in your face, right? Like, ooh, that's, you know, I wonder what, what people think when they read that. Uh, well, I was thinking about that, about this this week and uh, back in November, Dan and myself and Pete Hetland and my dad went down to the Badger football game in Northwestern. And my dad was telling us a story about back in his crazy days and uh, when he worked with this guy named Kevin, they were loggers and they just did a bunch of crazy things. And, and my dad was telling the story to Dan and Pete and he's like, well, yeah, but Kevin, you know, he's a preacher now and he's born again. And he just kept talking and telling the story. And, and I was like, oh, that was really interesting because my dad did not use it in a negative way at all. You know, he just talked very positively about Kevin and how he was born again. So I called my dad a couple days ago and I just said, dad, I'm preaching on this passage this Sunday and like, you know, I heard you say this and I'm just curious, like, what, is that, what does that mean to you? Because you didn't seem to use it in a negative way. He said, oh yeah, it wasn't negative. He said, you know, it means that he turned his life around and he's, he's on a new path. And, and, uh, and then I asked my dad about the billboard thing. I'm like, when you see a billboard that says you must be born again, what do you think? He's like, yeah, it's kind of like offensive or it's a little like in your face, you know? Um, so this, this whole you know, language, these, this word born again in our culture, it, it, has, it carries some, some baggage with it. Um, it's, a, it's a loaded term, I think. It can stir up a lot of emotions. But we're going to be talking uh, today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, very famous passage, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And there are two main things that I want us to see today as we look at this passage in John chapter 3. And I want to read a quote from you from probably my favorite author, J.C. Ryle. I've probably mentioned him before uh, to you guys. And he wrote commentaries on the Gospels, and they've been turned into a like, daily devotional. Um, really good stuff. And this is what J.C. Ryle, he's a uh, 19th century Anglican pastor in England. This is what he says about John chapter 3. He says, The conversation between Christ and Nicodemus which begins with these verses, is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. Nowhere else do we find stronger statements about those two mighty subjects. Here they are. The new birth and salvation by faith in the Son of God. The servant of Christ will do well to make himself thoroughly acquainted with this chapter. A man may be ignorant of many things in religion and yet be saved. But to be ignorant of the matters handled in this chapter is to be in the broad way which leadeth to destruction. Speaking of some hard words, I love reading those old guys because they just tell it like it is and they don't, they don't mince words. So we need to be acquainted with these topics. We need to be acquainted with the new birth. We need to be acquainted with faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And 
as we have been talking about evangelism, we're focusing on evangelism during this gospel of John as we go through John. It's not just enough to read what John the Baptist and the disciples said about Jesus in John chapter one, calling him the Lamb of God, the Son of God, uh, the King of Israel, the Messiah. It's not just to know about these seven or eight, however you count them, I am statements that are in the book of John. Uh, We want people to know who Jesus is, but it's not just enough to, to intellectually assent to say, oh yeah, Jesus said this about himself. We have to go deeper than that. And as, as you're out there, as you're talking with people, you're going to find out that people will say lots of true things about Jesus. They'll say lots of things that Jesus says about himself. But it's not just to say, well, Jesus was a good man or Jesus was a good teacher. And we're going to see today, how does Jesus address these things in his conversation with Nicodemus? So let's look together at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, this morning as we come to your word, I ask that you would burn these things on our hearts that you would show us what it means to be born again, to be born from above, to become new creatures in Christ, to believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Open our eyes to see who you are in your word, to trust you and to love you and to live our lives for you and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we're introduced here to to Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and you know, talk about uh, born again being a loaded word. Pharisee, you know, in our culture, we all talk about Pharisees, people who are really strict, who who are hypocritical, who who love to keep the rules. Um, the Pharisees were strict adherents to the Old Testament laws, um, but oftentimes they missed the heart behind the laws that God had given behind the rules and. There's a lot of conflict in the Gospels with, between Jesus and the Pharisees, and Jesus is often exposing them for their hypocrisy. 
So this man here, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this ruler of the Jews, it says that he came to Jesus by night. This is really interesting. Uh, there's this, this secret meeting here between Nicodemus and Jesus. And we you know, kind of have to ask ourselves, why would, why would he come to Jesus by night? Why not, you know, Jesus is, is preaching, Jesus is in the synagogues, Jesus is continually interacting with the Pharisees. Why didn't Nicodemus just walk up, you know, after the service or after whatever is going on, pull him and say, hey, can I talk to you about something real quietly? No, he goes to him by night, um, probably because there's something going on, and I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but there's something going on in Nicodemus that he's, he's drawn to Jesus. He's, he's starting to, to see there's something different about Jesus. And as a Pharisee, as this ruler of the Jews, he didn't want to be seen talking to Jesus. He didn't want to be found out. He didn't want people to know that, hey, maybe I'm starting to believe in this guy. There's something different about this guy. And c- clearly he's curious. And we see that here by what Nicodemus says in Verse two, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, no, do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so this acknowledgement here, this is a very important acknowledgement that Nicodemus makes. Uh, like I said, he's clearly intrigued by Jesus. He calls him a teacher come from God and says that God is with him. And I, I don't think Nicodemus quite believes yet. He doesn't quite understand who Jesus is, but there's something that he's intrigued by. So what is Jesus going to say when this religious man, this man who knows the Old Testament, who knows the Jewish religion, what is Jesus going to say to him? And what can we learn as we have conversations with religious people? Uh, as Dan mentioned again you know, this morning and last week, uh, we're going to be doing these evangelism surveys where we interview people and we sit down with them. There's 10 questions, and our goal is just to listen. Our goal is to hear what people have to say. And uh, at Praxis on Wednesday night, we, we talked th- through the first thing. We had an assignment within 24 hours to survey someone, and I had one person in mind from high school, and I texted him Thursday morning, and then I went into a coffee shop, and I was doing some sermon prep, and I had my ESV study Bible out, and this guy walks up to me and he says, hey, what version of the Bible are you, or what study Bible are you using? And he starts telling me about this uh, Bible as literature class that he had taken. And um, we just, yeah, we were just kind of making some small talk. And I said, hey, I have this like uh, assignment for my church where we're interviewing people and asking them, you know, just about their spiritual journey. I said, would you be willing to do that? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? And so um, I said, okay, let's come back tomorrow morning. He's there like every day. I said, come back tomorrow morning. We'll, We'll sit down and we'll talk. And uh, his name is David. Uh, David grew up with a Jewish father and a Protestant mother. And uh, as we're talking, you know, here's David, knows all the stories in the Old Testament, um, knows all the stories about Jesus, believe, you know, believes um, in the Tower of Babel story and how that has affected human history. And just all these things, there's all these like common connections. And the, the, I'm not going to share, you know, much of, I told him I wouldn't share a lot of what he said, but he gave me permission to share the, the main question that, that David asked me, and this is so telling. He said, what's the difference between believing in Jesus as Messiah and just believing in Jesus as a good teacher and following his example? And I'm like, hey, that's a really good question. And I couldn't answer it because I, all I could do was listen. But I said, 
let's get together again and talk about that. And we talked about, you know, maybe getting together and talking about some of these I am statements. And I said, you know, let's, let's look at what Jesus says about himself. Um, yeah, so again, it's, I think it's no accident that I met this guy on the week that I'm preaching on Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus, this Jewish man. Um, so it's very, very exciting. Uh, I'm excited to, to hear your guys' stories, to hear what the Lord does through your conversations with people. And it, my hunch is that as you talk to people, especially in the Fox cities, I think the majority of people that we talk with are going to have a pretty positive view of who, who Jesus is. Um, you know, there's going to be a handful of people who just flat out say, I don't even believe he existed, things like that. But for the most part, I think people are going to have, you know, a pretty high view. Yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good person. Um, they'll say things like, yeah, why can't I just believe him as a teacher and follow his example? Um, and that's, that's a good thing. That's a good kind of foot in the door to begin to have conversations with people. But as I mentioned earlier, it's not just enough to say, oh, well, yeah, he was a good person. He was a good teacher. Um, Jesus makes that obvious in his conversation here with Nicodemus when he responds to him in verse 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus' response here at first glance seems rather strange. Um, Nicodemus didn't ask him any question. Uh, Nicodemus just made a statement Uh, certainly he had questions, and we're going to see some of those questions in response to the things that Jesus said, but Jesus just starts off here telling him, you have to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. Um, And he kind of, he just goes right for the jugular. So Nicodemus, uh, he says, you're a teacher, God is with you, and then Jesus tells him, hey, if you want, if you want to see God and you want to see his kingdom, you have to be born again. And again, we've been talking about this word, uh, born again. If you see, if you're reading the ESV, your footnote will say, um, also can be translated as born from above. And this word, the word for again, is used 13 different times in the New Testament. And it's only translated again here in John chapter 3. The other times that it's used are usually like above or when it talks about the curtain in the temple tearing from the top to the bottom, that's where this word is used. Uh, So the emphasis, and most scholars, if you read commentaries, they'll actually say like it should be translated born from above, like that's more accurate. Um, And probably the reason why people say again is because Nicodemus talks about entering your mother's womb a second time. So born again is not bad, a bad translation, it's not inaccurate, but um, Born from above is, is I think, a, just a better way to talk about it because it focuses on the work that God does. Uh, and I think, again, like in our culture, born again is a really uh, loaded word. I, I think we get a picture of like these revival meetings and this hellfire and brimstone preaching and preachers yelling at people, you must be born again. And again, we see those billboards and sometimes we're like, oh, you know, like it feels very in your face. I think the problem with that is that so much the emphasis is on what we have to do. It's something that, that we do. It's this decision that we have to make. And, you know, you, I prayed the prayer, sinner's prayer how many times and all this. And it just becomes this thing that like, and then we're questioning, was I really saved? Was I really born again? Uh, versus putting the emphasis on God and on God's supernatural work of him coming from above and making us born again through his spirit. So just a, a little uh, note on that. But either way, uh, the emphasis 
on it, born again or born from above, is on conversion. That's something that Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see that he needs. Um, But Nicodemus, we can see in his response here in verse four, Nicodemus doesn't get it. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus' reply to him is, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, There's also uh, lots of debate over uh, this verse here, verse five, what it means by being born of the water and the spirit. Uh, some people will argue that water means baptism. And um, you know, I, I don't believe that the Bible anywhere teaches baptismal regeneration, that we are born again the moment that we are baptized. Um, the focus, again, if we talk about being born from above, the focus is that Becoming a Christian is, is a work of God, a supernatural work of God that comes from above. It's not something that we do. It's not we, we baptize someone and automatically uh, they become a Christian. So if Jesus isn't referring to baptism here when he talks about water, what is he talking about? Well, again, we have to remember who Jesus is speaking with. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. He would have known um, stories from the Old Testament that talk uh, that point forward to the new birth. Uh, so Jesus here, he's not creating this totally new idea that, um, that wasn't talked about before in the Old Testament. It's very much, it's rooted uh, in the Old Testament. There's many places in the Old Testament that uh, have similar language to this, but one area, one place in particular is Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37, now, if you remember, we, we just preached through the book of Isaiah. If you remember in the prophets, we, we talked a lot about this uh, theme of judgment and restoration. Uh, the prophets come and they speak judgment to the people, but then they come after that and they speak of hope. They speak of restoration that God is going to bring. And in the chapters leading up to Ezekiel 36, there's a lot of judgment going on. There's judgment against the nations. You remember there's the judgment against the shepherds of Israel for not caring for the the people, not shepherding the flock in the way that they were supposed to. And then we come here to uh, chapter 36. And I want you to pay attention. I'm going to read part of this. Pay attention to the message that God tells Ezekiel to proclaim to the people of Israel and how the emphasis here is on God's gracious and supernatural work, that it is a work from above. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 to 28. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. That is such a hard word to say. Uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now again, there's no doubt that Nicodemus was familiar with this text from Isaiah and God's work of cleansing with water, of cleaning his people from their idolatry, of putting a new heart within them, he would have known that that, that text was there. And when Jesus here is, is talking about being born again, he's talking about not seeing the kingdom of God unless these things happen, not being able to enter the kingdom of God unless these things happen. Um, I, Nicodemus had to have had some framework of what that looked like because of his understanding of the Old Testament. Jesus Jesus' point here, Jesus' emphasis, is that a new birth from above is absolutely necessary. And Nicodemus, which we'll see in his response, and I think, um, you know, like many religious people today, they, they might scoff at this suggestion. They might ask, why? Why is it not enough just to say, uh, Jesus is a good man, he's a good teacher, uh, why is it not enough to just follow Jesus' example and say, yeah, I'm a good person, you know, I do what the Bible teaches, well, what if those things are not possible? What if it's actually not possible to follow Jesus' example and to say, oh, I'm just going to do the, you know, the good things that the Bible tells me to do? What if, on the contrary, we actually have no ability on our own to do those things? Um, if Nicodemus was familiar with Isaiah chapter 36, then he was certainly familiar with the next chapter, Isaiah chapter 37. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. God brought Ezekiel in the spirit uh, to a valley that was full of dry bones. God told Ezekiel to speak to the bones so that they would live, that they would go from death to life. And then God told the bones that he would cause breath to enter them and that they would live. Then he told, God told Ezekiel that these bones represented the people of Israel. The people of Israel, just like these bones, they were dead. They had no breath in them. They had no spiritual life in them. And then just like in chapter 36, the Lord said in chapter 37, verse 14, he said, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Well, I love uh, linguistics. I love languages. Um, after living overseas for 10 years and just uh, seeing all the different things that the Chinese language is so much different than the English language. Um, it was fun singing in Spanish today, even though I have no idea. I mean, I can look at the words and, you know, kind of compare them. Um, but it's, it's interesting seeing, like especially in Chinese, uh, words can get so specific to, like, um, to explain you know, one type of thing. You can have like, all, like five or ten different ways to explain one, one word or one, one object, just maybe depending on its size or its color, it can get so specific. But then there's other times where um, things are not very specific and it can be very ambiguous, like the word for hiccup and burp is the same word. Um, it's da ge, or if you're speaking in the Beijing dialect, it's da ger. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like telling people, like, don't you know the difference between a hiccup and a burp? Like, 
you, one you can do voluntarily or it's, you know, after eating a good meal. And the other one is like, you get the hiccups and it's, you, you can't stop them. And like, so, you know, we have these, we have these words that um, maybe some are really specific and some are not. Maybe I'm losing all of you with that example. But um, anyways, to get back to the passage, uh, the, the Hebrew language and the Greek language both do uh, things like that. They have uh, one word sometimes that can cover a whole bunch of different words. And um, one example here from this passage is uh, the breath and the spirit and the wind. It's all the same word in the Hebrew and then in the Greek, it's the same word. So, you know, we would be like, well, can't you guys see that like wind and spirit and breath? Like, yeah, they're kind of similar, but you just use the same word and it's kind of confusing. Um, and, but the emphasis here is that um, God's, God's breath, God's spirit, the wind of God, all these things are things that, that God does, things that are unseen, and it's his work, and that's what we're going to see when Jesus responds to uh, Nicodemus in John 3, 6. He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus here, you know, he's talking about the wind. Um, we, we see the effects of the wind. We feel the effects of the wind, especially this time of year. We were just at the shavers yesterday for the sledding party. And if you were out there, you felt the effects of the wind. Uh, you know, the temperature wasn't that cold, but it was... It was biting. Uh, it, was, it was very cold. And, you know, the wind is, is powerful. Uh, you know, like, we, we can't see where it comes from. Uh, it's powerful and it's effective. And Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The emphasis here is that this is an unseen work. It's a work of God's Spirit. It's a work that comes to us from above, and it is supernatural. Well, as we ponder this miraculous intervention by the Spirit of God to breathe life into our dead bones, it ought to cause us to overflow with thanksgiving and to, and to praise God and to desire to tell others about that, to tell them about the new birth from above. So as we do these evangelism surveys, as we encounter people, um, our motivation needs to come from this. It needs to come from the fact that our own identity as Christians, our own being born from above, is, is something that God has done in us, and how can we not share it with other people? It shouldn't come from guilt. It shouldn't come from Dan or I saying, hey, you know, did you contact your person? Did you do the survey? It's not about guilt. It's about saying, how can I not share this good news of what God has done for me with other people? Well, it talked about not and not being enough for Nicodemus to just acknowledge Jesus as a teacher. And it's, you know, it's not just enough for people to say, oh yeah, okay, new birth comes from above, sure, that's, that sounds like a good idea. Um, you know, Nicodemus may have said, after Jesus explained it to him, maybe he started to say, okay. Um, but we see here uh, in the next verse that, that he doesn't yet understand. Uh, Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Uh, this literally can tra be translated, how can this happen? Um, how does this actually happen? And then Jesus doesn't leave Nicodemus in his unbelief. Instead, he, he comes and he confronts Nicodemus in his unbelief. 
in verse 10 here, he questions Nicodemus. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Um, remember that in the beginning, uh, Nicodemus called Jesus a teacher. Um, so being a teacher is something that's very important. It's a position of authority. It's a position of influence. Uh, it presupposes knowledge about the subject that the teacher is teaching. You know, I can't imagine a, a university hiring someone to teach something like an advanced calculus class. Um, you know, if a high school kid comes and says, hey, I got an A in high school calculus. You know, can I have a job teaching advanced calculus? Well, they would just laugh in his face and be like, what are you talking about? Get out of here. Um, you know, it takes years of training. It takes years of experience to be in a place where you can have that level of competency to be able to teach people, to be able to answer people's questions in a difficult subject like that. And here we see this untrained carpenter, this, this man who has had no formal education, having this conversation with Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, who is a teacher of Israel, Israel who has been trained in the Old Testament, who probably knows it inside and out. And we begin to see here in this passage who the real teacher is. Who is the real teacher who has come from God? The real one who has come down from above. And Jesus will continue here to challenge Nicodemus in verses 11 to 13. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So these verses further, further confirm that the new birth only comes down to us from above. Jesus is the one who came down from heaven. He came down from above to teach us not only about earthly things that we ought to already understand, like seeing the wind and things like that, but about heavenly things that we can't understand unless someone comes and teaches them to us, like the work of the Spirit. I love the Gospel of John because it's it's unique uh, from the other Gospels in many ways. We've already talked a little bit about the I am statements. Uh, one other unique feature that we'll probably be seeing a little bit as we go through is the idea of Jesus' hour. Um, we, didn't, uh, we didn't preach on John chapter 2, but at the wedding in Cana, uh, Jesus' mother comes to him and tells him to turn the water into wine. He says, oh, you know, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then the turning point of the book in, in, is in John chapter 12 where Jesus finally announces some, uh, some Greeks come and they seek Jesus and Jesus announces the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then from then on, he's speaking very clearly and very openly about his plans to go to the cross. But up until that point, as we see here, uh, Jesus is, he's, hinting at it. Uh, he's hinting about his death on the cross. He's not speaking explicitly about it. Um, he's, he's kind of giving some clues to it. And um, he, that's in John here, chapter, uh, sorry, John three fourteen and 15. It says, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, for us, obviously, on this side of the cross, this makes sense. We know the stories. Uh, we're familiar with, with what Jesus is talking about here, about being lifted up. But why is Jesus telling Nicodemus this story? Why is he, again, going back to the Old Testament and trying to help Nicodemus see something that he should already know and already understand? 
Well, in Numbers chapter 21, uh, the people of Israel, they had already been delivered out of slavery in Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. Uh, They had come to Mount Sinai where Moses met God on the mountain. He received the law, the Ten Commandments. Now they have left Sinai. They're wandering and they start to complain against God. They start to complain against Moses for bringing them out of Egypt into this wilderness where there's no food and there's no water. They say, we want to go back to Egypt where we had those things. And then in response to that, the Lord sends fiery serpents that bite the people and then many of them began to die. The people then came to Moses, they confessed their sins, they confessed that they had spoken against Moses, that they had spoken against the Lord, and then they asked Moses to pray for them, to intercede for them, and to ask the Lord to take away the snakes from them. And what happened next in this story is a little odd. Uh, Instead of God just taking away the snakes, sending them off, uh, healing the people from the, the poison, from the venom, He tells Moses to make a fiery serpent out of bronze and to put it on a pole. So Moses does this. Uh, If someone had been bitten by a snake, all that they had to do was look at the bronze snake on the pole and they would live. They would be healed of the, the bite. Well, just as Nicodemus should have been familiar with the, the passage in Ezekiel 36 and 37 about the new birth from above, He should have understood the story about the bronze snake that Moses made. And Jesus, he uses an earthly thing here, uh, like he often does, using some story of something that that happened to proclaim a heavenly truth, to proclaim a heavenly reality. This lifting up of the snake, it points to Jesus being lifted up on the cross. But it wasn't just enough for Jesus to hint at his future, future crucifixion. It wasn't just enough to say, well, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the cross. He doesn't tell Nicodemus. He doesn't just leave it at that. He goes farther. He tells Nicodemus very clearly in verse 15, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's not just enough to know, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. That's, that's good. That, that's a good story. So this is a great time for us to, to ask ourselves, to look to our own lives, to look to our own hearts. Is this true of me? Am I someone who believes in him? Am I someone who believes in this Jesus who is proclaiming himself here to Nicodemus? Do I believe the things that he is telling us about himself. And this morning, as we prepare our hearts to come to the communion table, we need to ask ourselves, have we confessed our sins? Have we acknowledged that we, like the Israelites in the wilderness, that we are often a a groaning, a grumbling, and a complaining and thankless people? Have we looked to the Son of God alone for our salvation? the one who was lifted up on that cross so that the venom of sin might be removed from our spiritual bloodstream? Have we believed in him alone for eternal life? It's not, I've said this like probably 50 times, it's not just enough to believe in Jesus as a good teacher. Jesus actually doesn't leave us with that option and we're really gonna be seeing that as we go through these I am statements. He gives us one option, It's to believe in him alone as the only savior of mankind. To look 
to him alone in faith so that we may live forever. Now, if you've done that, if you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, then we invite you to come forward. We invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper and and to proclaim to everyone here, to proclaim to the watching world that you belong to Christ. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. Um, We want to continue to to talk to you about Jesus. We want to have conversations with you about what it means to be born from above, what it means uh, to trust in Jesus as your Savior. If, uh, if that's you, I'd encourage you on page eight of your worship guide as we prepare for communion. There's some prayers there that you can look at. Uh, you can read through those while others are coming up and, and just examine uh, your heart, where you're at uh, with the Lord, and we would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here and, and you've never put your trust in Christ. Uh, maybe today you said, I, I understand that, that I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm like, that valley full of dry bones. I have nothing good in me that I can bring to the table. I can't breathe life into my dead life, my dead uh, soul. But, but I, I believe this. I believe that Jesus is the one who can do it. I believe that Jesus is the one who can save me. And I, I confess that he is the only savior. If that's you, then, then come. Come and and. Be born from above. Receive him. Look to him and come and join us at the Lord's table.